Good afternoon, good evening, good morning, and welcome to another episode of A Word with Adam. I'm your host, Adam Gerard, and this week I'm joined by a very old friend of mine, Rod Lewis. Together we discuss what it was like for him to grow up gay, what it was like to come out as gay during the 80s when the AIDS epidemic was at its elite peak finest, and what it was like to move into communities that help those who are afflicted with AIDS. All that and more, but before we get into that, I just want to say a few things, and that is that being gay isn't something that you choose. You're born that way, in the same way that you're born deaf, or that you're born with a skin pigmentation. It is no different, and and to look at somebody differently because they choose to identify sexually one way or the other is, is insane. We live in a world now where it should be acceptable to be gay, straight, bisexual, transgendered, whatever it is. Don't judge people based on that, you know. Ju- judge them on their character, as Martin Luther King famously once said. Judge them on the content of their character because that's all you should judge them on. And that's all we can judge them on, ultimately, is, is what they bring to society. And if you're someone who might not know what to do if somebody says something homophobic, to just stand up, say no, and don't be afraid, don't be ashamed. You're not going to be looked down on. In fact, the rest of society is filled with good people who have your back. Anyway, without further ado, here's my interview with Rod Lewis. Okay, I'm sitting here with Mr. Rod Lewis, who I've known, I, I almost feel like my entire life at this <laughs> point. I'm good, Rod. How are you? I'm very good, thank you. And uh, Rod, he's very humble and he'll never, he'll never accept this coming from me, but he's one of the most intriguing people I know because you've led the most interesting, fulfilling and possibly <laughs> selfless lives of almost anybody I know. And it's, it's, it, it's quite amazing, like, you know, humbling in some ways. Thank you. Thank you. But before we talk about me, I, yes. I have to ask, I haven't yes. seen you before. Quite, quite a few months now. I feel like I'm being interviewed by Grizzly Adams. Now, I know the podcast isn't, isn't a visual medium, but your beard is probably longer than my arm. Yeah, well, I, uh, I'm trying to go for that wise and that wise and wizard look. I found that without it, you know, I, I'm, I'm a baby-faced assassin, as it were, and I kind of don't get the seriousness. But with the with the wise and beard, it's almost the the Jesus-like look that I'm going with. People kind of just just give me that respect back. It's the one step I can get closer, I guess. As long as I don't have to worry about any wild animals. <laughs> no, no, we've got uh, – I've set the traps outside. Oh, you know, yeah, it's safe. a bit of a shack as well. So <laughs> exactly. <laughs> no, no, my, uh, my serial killer mansion is, is somewhere else entirely, oh, so that's, you're safe. <laughs> Onward, hope. Exactly. <laughs> now um, – Something, something I've always admired about you, Rod, uh, and I don't think it's a, it's a secret, is that, that you're, you're quite openly homosexual, you're quite openly gay man. Yeah. You always have been as far as I've known, and um, I think that's something for me that, that obviously I knew you through my brother. Yes. Uh, my brother's 12 years older than I am, so, so you and he are around the, the same sort of age group. You did a lot of theatre together. Yeah. So yeah, as happens with theatre, you spend a lot of time around <laughs> the, the theatrical people. Yes. Uh, I always found the fact that you were so just comfortable with who you are and, you know, down to your, your sexuality. You were, you were never threatening. And so I never understood being in school where people would talk about, you know, gay being a bad thing. I would never – my brain, even at, you know, 11, 12, couldn't wrap around that because the gay people I know were the most relaxed, normal, selfless people I knew. So I, I think it comes down to being comfortable with yourself. Yeah. Um, I tend to be a very um, forthright person. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, in the sense that I don't put up with a lot of nonsense. I give yeah. people leeway, but that's there. But I have to be comfortable with who I am as well. Yeah. And I was very lucky in the sense that I didn't really realise I was gay mm-hmm. until after I'd had my first sexual encounter. Okay. With another guy. Odd as that sounds, it's, it's a real credit to the human mind, how we can yep. justify anything. Yep. So, I mean, nowadays I can look back to the games I played with my $6 million man doll as a child. And <laughs> Join the, the dots and, and stuff. Against and stuff like that. And <laughs> <laughs> it's always been there and I still miss that doll. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure this one on eBay. Well, maybe somebody out there for your birthday one year will, award, will give you this, this yeah, doll. So if anybody has an old Steve Austin doll with the bionic eye, please do let me know. <laughs> but... The mind can justify anything. It's, it's quite yeah, it's amazing. So I would look at other guys as a teenager and go, yep. "Wow, that is really hot." Yeah. But I never thought there was anything wrong with that because mm-hmm. all of my female friends would always comment about other women. So, oh right, yeah, of course. My brain was saying, "Well, the unspoken rule is women can say it out loud, but men don't." 
Yeah. But obviously, if women have those thoughts about other women, it's quite natural that men yeah, of course. would have um, those same thoughts about other guys as well. So, you know, my brain was able to justify everything. Yep. Um, and it wasn't until I was in my early 20s, I was cast in to act in a show where I had to kiss another guy. Yep. And during... The guy that I was acting with was bisexual, and during the course of rehearsals, he came over one night to my place, and yep. we're doing a line run, practicing our lines. Ah, uh, the old actor's trick. Oh, yeah. Had, Smooth. Had one too many drinks. Um, <laughs> he ended up having to crash the night because yep. um, I was the driver. He didn't drive, and I couldn't take him home because he'd be drinking. Yep. One thing led to another, you know, blah, blah, blah. You've seen it in a thousand Hollywood movies. <laughs> and I wake up the next morning, and I took him home. Yep. And it wasn't until I was driving back home to my place from his house that my brain started going, hang on a minute, that wasn't very heterosexual. <laughs> <laughs> and I just thought, you know, what the hell just happened? Yep. You know? And it completely, in that instant, I had a complete identity crisis. Yeah, well, I imagine. Who am I? What am I? You know, I don't like anal sex, so therefore I can't be gay. But if I am gay, does that mean I can never have sex? You know, all these yeah, stereotypes all these. shooting through my head of what does it mean to be gay? Am I gay? Am I not gay? And it hit really, really hard. Um, but I was lucky in the sense that there was no build-up to it. There was no years of trauma yeah. about about hiding it or anything like that. And once yeah, it hit I guess, hard, I guess that probably through, is easier. You know, probably I can't remember now, you know, memory tends to soften the blow, but I think it was only a few weeks yeah. of real soul-searching that I went through until, you know, my usual brain kicked in and said, I'll stuff this for a joke, this is who I am, and if you don't like it, lump it. Yeah. And it wasn't a case of throwing it in people's faces, because I still had... No, I don't, I, and I don't think you've ever thrown... No. ...thrown no. sexuality in oh, No, I've never seen it. So. And it was difficult coming out to people. Oh, I bet. Um, but that, accept, that self-acceptance I managed to do from memory yeah. in... In the space of a couple of weeks, I was very, very lucky. Oh, that's um, good. That I, you know, I see these people that you know struggle from childhood um, for years and years and years. I well, see you... people who are married with children. Yeah, I was going to say, you read about married. some of the, the Hollywood actors in the 30s who have wives and families and children who were having you know, the, the, this gay life on the side that they were ashamed of, but it was who they, that, that was who they really were, but they felt... Well, if if I if I if I show that to the world, I'm not going to be able to be in a movie anymore. Yeah, you know that's exactly. and homophobia, as much as accepting as we are nowadays, generally speaking, as a, as a Western society, anyway. Yeah. Um, to to accepting homosexuality as just another facet of human nature. Yeah. It is still really hard for people right. to come out, and people struggle with it for years and years and years. And unfortunately, as much as you can offer support, and as much as you can tell them it's okay. Because even if your friends rejected you, there are billions of people no, in the world the, who aren't going the to The gay community you. will accept you with open arms and treat you better than your friends ever could. Exactly. And it's hard to lose friends. But, you know, let's oh, face yeah. it, people move countries or move yeah. interstate or flee countries or whatever. And they have to start, start life afresh. And they yeah. do. And they thrive. Frank Lowry was an asylum seeker who fled his country and he, he created the Westfield Shopping Centre, which is now yes, he, he's a billionaire. Yeah, well, jeez. Governor General was a Vietnamese asylum seeker. Yep. Um, and now, you know, he's top of the pops in politics. So, yeah, exactly. You know, so, so we can create a new life. And yep. I really feel for those people who are struggling and, you know, the, the logical side of their brain is probably telling them, you know, it'll be okay in the end. Yeah. But the emotional side I, of I, fear... I think it's probably also that, that, as you say, it's the fear of the unknown. So mm. you can have the most... Like, I imagine the first place it starts with the first fear you get from outside of yourself is your parents. Yeah. If you've got parents who, even if they're accepting, mm-hmm. I imagine part of you is still going to be like, well... You know, are they they might be accepting of, of, of gays as, as, as they are, but are they going to be accepting of me mm. not being able to give them a kid or whatever the case may be? Yep. And even then parents usually, are, like, if you're a good parent, you're just going to be like, hey, if you're happy, I'd rather you be happy and us not have, like, biological grandchildren because kids are, you know, you can adopt a child and it can still be part of your family. You don't need yeah. blood. I think it's a bit unfair to say if you're a good parent. Sorry, yes. There are a lot of really good parents out there who... They've been brought up on false information and yeah. they need time to adjust and you have to okay. accept that. That's my, fair enough. That's my, fair enough. My parents, it was an interesting story. Um, yep. I never came out to my father. He just made an assumption. <laughs> and the way that happened was my father was a laryngectomy, a neck breather because he had cancer in oh, yeah. throat so he couldn't speak. 
um, he used to write everything down and he, he lived in the state. He came over for a holiday and he stayed at my place for one night. Yep. He was staying with my sister for the rest of the time. And the night he stayed at my place, I also happened to have another friend stay over. Yep. Um, again, he'd gone out and he didn't drive, and blah, blah. And he was an older guy. He was in his um, 50s, yep. about the same age as my father at the time. <laughs> um, because my, I was living in a flat, so because my father had a spare bed and a spare bedroom, yep. my friend shared the bed. My yeah, bed crashed next year. Because I, I had a queen-size bed, yep. plenty of room. Um, so he just slept over in. And as we are kind of getting <laughs> preparing for bed, my father just wrote a little note on his pad and handed it to me, and she said, don't let me stop you doing anything you'd normally do. Oh. I went, Dad, he's older than you are. What the hell? <laughs> but that was his way of saying But still, that's, that, okay. that's a not, like, that's that amazing. Everyone else accepting, like, yeah. else. The flip side yep. is my mother didn't deal with it at all. Okay. Um, she quite, she physically attacked me. Um, oh, shit. Like, hit lashing out. She was so distressed by the news. Um, part of that was probably the way I told her. I don't remember how I told her, but, you know, I probably could have been a bit gentler, um, <laughs> <laughs> just knowing my own personality. Um, so she she was so distressed by it that she lashed out physically, and I had to yeah. physically throw her out of my unit Jeez. and lock the door and call for somebody to come and pick her up because um, she That's was completely distressed by it. Um, we didn't speak for three years. Um, and during that time, I would send her literature, yep. just occasionally a bit of information about HIV and AIDS, because um, yep. that was one of the concerns, of course, yeah. um, back in the day. In the I know, especially, yeah, I was going to say the 80s especially, though. Yeah. And, um, you know, and uh, brochures from PFLAG, which was a, a volunteer organisation, Parents and Friends of Lesbians and Gays, yep. which were parents who have gay and lesbian children and they have... Almost disorder. like a forum in a community where yeah. they could discuss it. Yep. So, so just every now and then, you know, maybe twice a year or once a year, whatever it was, I would send her literature. Yep. Um, and I gave her the time that she needed. Yeah. You know, I kept tabs on how she was, and I'm sure she did the same with me, but we didn't speak for, or barely spoke, I should say, for, for about three years. Yeah. When she finally started to accept it, and part of that acceptance was seeing that the rest of the family didn't have a problem with it. Yeah. Um, it was, the, the first step was for her to accept the concept that I was gay. Of course. The reality of it. Um, and it, by that I mean um, she was she, she was living in the state. She came over um, with my brother. Yep. And they were in the back seat of my car. And my brother, who had accepted it, um, after getting over his initial shock, <laughs> he was quite fine with it, he said to me, so have you got a boyfriend yet? And I said, no, no, I'm still single. And my mother, under a breath, went, thank God for that. <laughs> <laughs> so the next hurdle for her was once she'd accepted that her son was gay, was, you know, our next argument was if I have a partner, when I get a partner, that person becomes a very meaningful, valid part of my life. Yes, of course. You need to accept my partner just as much as you accept my sister's husband. Yeah, absolutely. You know, like, absolutely. Like a relationship is a relationship, and that was the next hurdle that she had trouble getting over, so that took a bit longer again. Of course. So, um... No, so but bit by bit, it kind of you know she got there, and nowadays you know we're as close as anything. You know, yeah. She um, my my previous partner I was with for for about nine years. We broke up about a year and a half ago. Mm -hmm. Um, still close friends though. Uh, but you know he's part of the family now. Yeah. You know my mum says, oh, when you're coming up to visit us in Queensland, you've always got a bed at my place. You know that kind of thing. So you know she doesn't. Which shows, yeah, yeah. Your, your mum, your mum has has accepted it. Yeah, but she grew up like her generation. I'm 47 now, so yeah. her generation being born in the 40s or whenever it was. Was um, she um, religious, like Catholic or anything? Only, she, she didn't go to church. She wasn't yep. religious in that respect. But people who grew up in her era were subjected to yeah. a much more religious society than what we are now. So she grew up with all that negativity that the church sprouted about gays, about yep. gays being pedophiles, about Corrupting gays, the youth, I remember that. Youth, about gays being this and that and they're going to hell and they're dirty people and yeah. all this kind of stuff. Um, so everything she ever knew about gays, because she didn't know any gay people personally, or yep. she didn't know anybody that she knew was gay. Openly gay, yeah. Um, so she, those those things that she'd grown up with yep. had never been corrected. So it would be extremely unfair to judge her. Yeah, of course. Because she she doesn't come from, like, it's very different in today's society where we have the internet and 
and we have knowledge at our fingertips basically we have knowledge at our fingertips and ignorant people have no excuse exactly because it takes less than five minutes to do a google it takes you longer to boot up your computer than it does to do a google search <laughs> exactly right to say you know is uh, this correct is this correct or what does what does this mean or yeah. define this or whatever so you have no excuse for being ignorant. If you're ignorant yeah. nowadays, you're choosing to be ignorant. You're exactly right. Um, whereas in her day, they didn't have that. Um, the older generation, many of them still don't feel comfortable with computers, so you've got to forgive them a little bit. Oh, yeah. Um, but, you know, so so she needed to go through that yeah. grieving but, process. But the fact that, that, that she got to a place of acceptance shows that, you know, as you say, that people just do need time to, I guess, process. and exactly. And I guess... It, uh, emotions are obviously a very complex thing. That they're what lead to wars and people, and they're what lead to people who killing their neighbour for no reason. Absolutely. Are emotions and and uh, so you know they're, they're tricky at the best of times. When your mum, I guess, has an emotional flux where she doesn't know what to do, perhaps the easiest thing is just to simply almost separate until the the brain chemicals like um, reset, and then she can. Like accept and move on and, and whatever it's, else. It's a bit like a, a drawn out um, fight or flight reaction. Yeah. When the emotion takes over and the adrenaline pumps. Yeah. You're going to react emotionally, whether that is fight or flight. And I guess it's not until afterwards you think, oh, I could have done it this way instead. Exactly. It's like I, you know when we go, oh, I should have said this when we had that. Oh yeah, I live on that. Yeah. People leave afterwards. You're like, damn it. Damn it. I you want to fight them off? Just be like, get back here. Get back here. I've got this to say. I've come up with a really <laughs> yeah, exactly. Just down. say that again. I want take two. Exactly. Yeah. That once once we stop the emotional reaction, then we start thinking clearer. Exactly. Um, but if you have a lifetime of programming and conditioning that you've got to fight through, that's very very difficult. It's, it's, oh yeah. It's, it's like an addiction. It's really hard to, to break. Yep. And as much as we see the coming out process as being all about the person coming out. The person out, coming out, yeah. Um, it's not. We tend to forget that it's also... Well, the emotional not, response is from everybody as well, isn't it? It is quite a journey for family and friends who yep. have had no experience with this situation before. Yeah. And we tend to go, oh, how could she react that way? And that's really awful. And, well, yes, it was. But... You've but until you've been there yourself. From. Yeah, exactly. And the fact that, you know, it took her three to four years to make that journey really sucks. Yeah. But the fact is she did make that journey. Well, you, you, you're better than a lot of people who have who have done, you know, who have had it. The parents who have said, well, get out. Absolutely. And they're just, that they're, they're all, you know, it's like you've, you've just been dead to your parents, which... That's bad. I can't. That's I, bad yeah, that, and that, that, that's. I guess that's what I mean when I say by being by being a bad parent. That's the way I look at it. Those parents where a child comes out and says, "Look, this way I am. I'm gay." They're like, "Well, you're dead to us. Then leave." It's like it's still your kid. Yeah. It's still that is still the same person. Still the fact that all you're judging them on is ignorance. The ignorance and who on who they're attracted to. Yeah. Like what they that's that's you know like the argument that that I've always I guess. Had had in my back pocket whenever anybody says that being gay is wrong in some way, it's just how do you explain that? Because everybody wants to accept if you accept that being gay is wrong, you can't accept that animals are sentient and intelligent or any of that because that that you know they, they don't go hand in hand those ideologies. So how can you accept that there are gay animals that really that according to the mindset that you're in can only have the basest of of brain impulses? How can they be naturally gay? And that's against the plan. Uh, sorry, that's for the plan for, for other things to be gay, but humans, yeah. that's, you know. Human sexuality is a huge spectrum. I yeah. think anybody who is 100% gay or 100% straight is extremely rare. Yeah. You may think you are, but it's highly unlikely. We sit, now, you might be 80, 90% straight, oh, yeah. 10% gay or whatever, but most of us sit somewhere on that spectrum, yeah. sexual obviously being closer to the middle where they can swing either way and double the chance for a date on a Saturday night <laughs> as it goes. But um, yeah, it's, it's not a black and white situation, which unfortunately yeah. um, religious doctrine, laws, all of those things deal in a very black and white world. Yeah, well, I'm, I'm amazed by... Fifty Shades of Grey. <laughs> I'm studying uh, criminology at the moment, and so obviously I, I look at all of the, the laws that... <laughs> you read some of them and you always laugh for the fact that we still have a law for certain things. But one of the ones that blows my mind is, in terms of, of sexuality in this in our in South Australia where we're recording right now, yeah. you if if it's a female and a male, um, 
both parties must be over 17 for age of consent. But if it's a, if it's a female and a female, 17. It's a male and a male, 18. Mm. And that to me, I, like, I read that, I'm like, okay, so 18 is, is where we're meant to be adults. So you're saying that until you're an adult, you can't know that you're gay. And that to me is amazing because it's like, I, I don't, I don't, I mean, you can, you can have people who discover it later in life, but I don't think you can get to, I can't, I don't, I can't imagine somebody getting to 50 and going, waking up one morning and being like, well, I, I never even had an inkling that I had this particular sexual preference, but this morning I've just realized it. Suddenly Hugh Jackman's third or Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, I don't, I, I, that's just my personal opinion, but I just don't, don't see how that can happen just out of yeah. the blue one morning. A, a lot of the laws changed discriminatory laws that we have were removed, which oh, is fantastic. Yep. Um, but there are still some yeah. that are around, such as, you know, we can't, like gay people can't get married in Australia. Yeah. Or if you are married overseas where it is legal, your marriage isn't recognised here, which I find utterly appalling. Yep. One thing to deny your own citizens, but to deny citizens of another country. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Country, that you're not going to recognise their marriage. But then um, you're going to so hold them by the rights of the country that they're in. Like, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, like you're Canadian, you come here, well, we're going to hold you to the letter of, of what our right. constitution and, says, and we but we'll ignore... Your, your relationship. Yeah, exactly. Though, um, even though in your own country you're, you're married. Exactly. Um, yeah, and I find that really appalling. Um, yeah. So, I mean, it's bad enough that you do it to your own, your own people, especially if they go overseas, get married, and then come back. It's yeah, exactly. It's recognised by everybody, like their family and their friends, but the government won't. I find that yeah. disgusting. Uh, yeah. But, you know, we are living in... You know, politicians tend to follow rather than lead that we, we elect them to lead the country but they're so intent on being re-elected yeah they wait no, they worry about the polls more than they worry they about do, change they wait for the community mood to change and yeah. then they change their stance yeah um, so do you think it's a case as well of uh, I, I spoke in um another interview that i that i've done with with um wayne campbell about aboriginal affairs and one of the things we talked about was that it's a lot of the the older mentality still exists because if, to, to put it bluntly they haven't died out yet yeah and so as long as they're still holding on to their stance, the old money, as it were, is, is what they're more worried about than, you know, some me, me in my 30s, you don't matter yet. Yeah. When you get into your 60s, we'll talk, but in your 30s, just just keep your opinion to yourself. Yeah, exactly. You've only had 30 years. Yeah, exactly. No, it's very true. It's very true. Yeah. It's, it's old school. It's sheltered school. They've yeah. gone, you know, not, all, not in all cases, but you know, a lot of them have gone to private schools or they've come yeah. from a well-to-do background, um, so they've led, led a very sheltered life. And then yeah. you expect you hear some of the comments that people make about, you know, what was that comment of last year? I think somebody made, one of our current politicians made some comment about poor people don't have cars. Oh, yeah, that was uh, Joe Hockey uh, was talking about putting up the fuel tax. Mm. And when they said, well, how are people, for instance, while Centrelink or things supposed to be able to, to afford it, his comment was, it doesn't matter if you put up that because poor people don't drive. That's right, yeah. So, and that's... And, you know, as funny as that is, it's, it's, it's very indicative of their their sense of the world. It's yeah, completely removed from any from most people's reality. Um, well, I think I think from what the rest of the world would call reality at this point as well. Very true, very true. But I mean, you know, in fairness, you look at you know a lot of the politicians in America. I find to be even more ridiculous. Oh yeah, um, and you know, I don't. Well, much I over, British politicians, but I'm sure no. Uh, the thing, well. the things that I've seen on Facebook are that uh, yeah, the, the British politicians are much better than ours. Yeah. So, but I will say at least ours aren't as openly flaunting of the fact that they're perhaps as corrupt and bought off as some of the American ones are. <laughs> some of the Americans, you just are you looking at you like are you tr- are you trying to be a Bond villain or yeah? <laughs> yeah. Well, it's something you touched on earlier, and I, I wouldn't mind um, exploring if you if you mind going into this. So. So you came out openly in, in the 80s. Yes. Now, um, particularly in, in Adelaide at the time, I, I can imagine why your mum was slightly upset. This is, We're going through a period when, you know, gay people are being bashed and, and, and drowned and, and even worse is going on. Yeah. Um, I guess from a personal perspective, what's it like? So, so now you've accepted who you are. Yeah. What's it like walking out into a society that's a little bit frosty, let's say, to, to the notion? It's... Um... It's a hard question to answer because, for the most part, it's fine. Yeah, it was fine because. So well, that's good. Walking down the street, nobody knew who I was. Yeah, you don't have the Star of David on your shoulder or anything, do you? So, or, you know, there was no pink triangle with the Nazis did to the gays. Yeah. Um, you know that. So, so walking down the street was not a problem. Yeah. Um, it be- 
became an issue when I was with um, other gay people who might have been a bit more flamboyant. Mm-hmm. Um, there'd be a bit of a fear factor there. Uh, they I always started, target the fun ones, don't they? Sorry? It's a shame. I said they always target the fun ones. It's such I a shame. I know, I know. And, you know, going, starting my journey in the gay nightclub, because yep. that was the only venues you really had going. Oh, of course. Um, you know, that was a nerve-wracking experience. Um, I bet. I didn't know what to expect from the gay community. Um, but day-to-day life, you know, my friends were all excited. I didn't lose a single friend, mm-hmm. um, so I was very fortunate. That's there. excellent. Um, in fact, the only negative response I had um, was from my mother. And that was just the journey she had to take. Yeah, yeah I think, like you said, that was just that was just her. She needed to take time to educate yeah, herself. I, I don't, you know, I don't begrudge her that at all. No. But because of that, we're closer than ever now, yeah. which is great. Uh, so I was very fortunate that you know I was surrounded by pretty open-minded people anyway. Yeah. But that's kind of always been my style anyway. If yeah. I find somebody is ultra negative um, or too opinionated, quick to judge. I don't tend to keep them in my life anyway. I don't blame you for that. You know, uh, the the majority of our life is spent either at work or with our friends and family. Yep. So I see no point in keeping people around who are going to negatively influence my emotions or my life. Um, I always give people the benefit of the doubt. I like yeah, to, of I course. Like to believe in the good of people. But if I find so, so for example, you know, I have a, I have a friend, and he's still a friend. I still see him occasionally, but he's he's extremely finicky. Yep. Um, and so I stopped inviting him to dinner parties when I have a dinner party. And he said to me one day, why don't I ever get an invite to dinner? And I said to him, because I'm more than happy to cater to lifestyle choices like veganism yeah. um, and for people with allergies. Yeah. But I have no interest in spending my entire time trying to work out recipes <laughs> because you don't like tomatoes and you don't like mushrooms and you yeah. don't like this and you don't like that. It's like... You don't like it, you don't come, but you eat what you're given and you be courteous about it. Yeah, exactly. Or bring your own. Yeah. <laughs> but my job is not to cater to, to you. Yeah, exactly. So you're trying to invite your friends to have a fun atmosphere yeah. to be. You don't need that shit weighing you, you down. You it down by saying how much you don't like everything. Yeah, exactly. So therefore, you know, you're a great friend. I enjoy socialising with you, but you will never be invited for dinner to my place. Yeah. And he's like, oh, am I like that, am I? Yeah. And, you know, so you know, I'm very upfront with people yeah. in that respect as well. So, you know, we still have a good friendship. Yeah, um, but I don't invite him. You know, <laughs> don't invite him to dinner anymore. Fifteen years later, I still don't invite him to dinner. So, you know, if we're going to go out and have a bite to eat together, we'll go to a cafe or something where he can yeah. order what he wants. Yeah, you know, so that's right the easiest way to do it that way. Yeah. Yeah. And I've completely lost the train of thought of what we're actually talking about. That's right. On that sidetrack, but um, yeah, well, that's right. Um, so I, I tend to keep people in my life that have a positive influence on my life. Yeah. Whether it's because they make me happy. Yep. Um, or you know, I'm secretly in love with them. <laughs> or you know whatever whatever you know like pe- people who have a positive positive influence on different aspects of my life yeah um, and that positive influence doesn't have to be anything more than I just relax and enjoy relaxing and chatting with them because yeah. relaxing is a positive thing as well and it's fun to chat to them exactly you know, you don't, fr- friendship is a bit like a business partnership it's an awful thing to say very cold I know <laughs> but you know if you want to break it down like we are friends with people because we get something from them. Yeah. Um, it's a fact of life. Yeah, you're exactly we, right. We don't look at it that way, and we certainly shouldn't look at it that way. But ultimately, if you're boring me to tears and you have absolutely no value in my life, like you're not giving me a good time, I can't have a conversation with you, uh, we have yeah. nothing in common, then you're not going to be my friend. Yeah. You know? Um, which is why I haven't seen you for several months. <laughs> <laughs> this place why I haven't been invited to these dinner parties. Damn. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, so, so it, yeah. it is an exchange. You know, we are friends because we enjoy each other's company. Exactly. We have a good time with each other. And it's got to be a two-way thing. Friendships that are exactly one right. don't, don't last. You're exactly right. When it's, when it's all tape, there's no point in having a, a friendship because it's just exhausting. It is. And, and good friends recharge. I find, like, you can spend hours with your friends and not go away feeling exhausted, but you spend 20 minutes in a room with somebody who's, like, watching paint dry exactly. and you feel like you've just come out of a coma. Yeah, friends also, good friends also know when to leave. <laughs> they, they, they know when you need time out. Yeah. Um, particularly people who are more introverted. Yeah. Um, who just prefer, prefer smaller groups of one-on-one and so they don't organise big parties for you for your birthday because they know you prefer one or two people going out for dinner. That yeah, exactly. Thing. I um, 
I've had friends in the past where who just you know they're, they're the horror of the guests that don't leave. <laughs> to the point where I've just said, guys, I'm really zonked. I'm going to head off to bed. Let yourself out when you're finished. Yeah, because <laughs> you know, I can't. Like, you're not going to go. So I'm <laughs> yeah. just going to wander off. To yeah. bed I've turned the air conditioning up. I'm flicking the lights. You're not getting this. <laughs> so I'm just going to go to bed. You, you know where the door is. Just you know. And I'm you know quite legitimately. I'm quite happy for you to stay if you want to and just keep on chatting the night away. Yeah. But I'm going to bed. <laughs> yeah, I said right. Yeah, fair <laughs> yeah, enough. Too. Exactly. So the only so going back to the actual issue that we started off talking about, um, the only real issue I had with friends in yep. regards to coming out being gay was one particular friend of mine, and he was quite open. He didn't understand homosexuality. He didn't mm-hmm. get it. He didn't agree with it. But he also took people for what they were as an yep. individual. So what you do in your private life, your business is the hum- The human quality outweighs yeah, exactly. what you do sexually. And, and that was nice. But what he used to do was whenever I would meet a new friend of his or a family member or whatever, he would always go, oh, and this, this is right, he's gay. gay. I knew you were going to say that. I knew you were going to say that. And this went on for a couple of months. You know, it happened quite a number of times. <laughs> so one day I introduced him to a new person, a new friend that he of mine who had met. So I said, oh, this is straight. <laughs> I've just doubted who he is, and so can you edit that out? <laughs> yeah, I'll put a, I'll put a center B over the top of his name. <laughs> but you know, and he's like, "Why did you say that?" And I said, "Oh, I was just returning the favor." And he said, "What do you mean?" So I said, "Well, every time I told him, he went, ooh, do I really say?" And he had no idea he was saying that. Um, no, and again, he's a good friend. Yeah, um, I said, it's just I a brain, it's probably just a brain it. fart moment that his brain was just yeah. that like you know slipping the tongue because that was the. Exactly. The so I got around that by, by making a joke of it and yeah. a dig back at him when I had the opportunity. Um, and problem solved, he never did it again. But he didn't yeah. actually realise he was doing that. Uh, so, yeah. I think that happens that sometimes people don't until you, you tell them that they're doing something and then they're suddenly like, wait, do I? Like, for instance, I don't, I don't realise when I'm concentrating on stuff, I sing to myself about just just apparently just random. I speak in tongues pretty much. Yeah, but yeah, <laughs> but, but you know, it like, uh, and it wasn't until a few months ago that, that my, my girlfriend said to me, "Are you aware that you just like talk gibberish when you're concentrating?" I had no idea. <laughs> All right, so so um, so moving on. So so now so now we've got through the eighties. You, you're now uh, I'm guessing in your year twenties when we hit the nineties. Okay, um, and the late. I want to say the late 80s. I might, I might be wrong about my timeline here. Forgive me, I was born in 83. So for me, the late 80s is when, like, the world began. The the late 80s, from what I remember, is when the I, – I, I don't know what better term to call it, but the AIDS mania ran wild on the world. Yeah. Um, at least, I, I think especially here in Australia, we always seem to be a few years behind on, on trends, as it were, as bad as this one is. Yeah. So America seemed to get it in, in like, 84 85, and then we got it, you know, 86 to 88 was our, our peak, I would say, of, of the start of it. So, so what's it like to, to be gay and, and you're in a world where just now AIDS, it almost, it almost like I said to you before we started rolling the tape, it almost feels like there came a time where AIDS was invented somehow by some guy in a lab just to wipe gay people out. There were a lot of con- conspiracy, conspiracy theories. Oh, there, are, there always are. And, and AIDS, definitely, yeah. You've got to love a good conspiracy theory. Oh, you do, you do. Um it was again. You know, I mentioned earlier when I was talking about my coming out yep. period. Um, you know, those thoughts that went through my head was, you know, well, I don't like anal sex, and blah blah blah. Well, that still holds. I don't like anal sex. Don't like to give it. Don't like to get it. Yeah, it's a, it's a one way time. I feel the same so, way. <laughs> hmm, you might not be gay. <laughs> Let's go ask your wife. <laughs> but um, you know, so for me, it wasn't. As, as more of a curiosity yep. than anything. I don't... A virus... I, I was intelligent enough to know even then that a virus is not intelligent enough to discriminate. Mm-hmm. A virus has no idea of what your sexuality is. Yeah. You know, so anybody... To me, even back then, before I knew really what it was, to me, anybody said, oh, AIDS was a gay man's disease. You know, my instant thought was, well, you're an idiot. <laughs> yeah. You know? Um because how can a virus... Like it's being blood-based, be yeah. selecting out exactly. a select certain people. Know what your sexuality yeah, exactly. Is. It's not in your... Well, I mean, it is in your DNA, but it's not... Yeah. Like there's a marker for it. They can go, well, there it is. Oh, there it is. Well, there, there, if there was, trust me, criminology would be so much easier because we'd be able to be like, was it a gay killer? Yeah, yeah. It's got the, the 17th chromosome <laughs> says... Right. Yeah, and it's pink. 
Yeah, yeah. It's, it's a rainbow. Get him, Johnson. That's the one. Anyway, so, sorry. Yeah, that's okay. Um, so for me, you know, it, it was an awful time, but there was more of a curiosity. I didn't yeah, really feel affected by it until um, I had a partner with HIV. Okay. Um, and again, that didn't bother me because I wasn't into the anal side of stuff. <laughs> um, so, you know, and people can go, oh, what do you do for sex then? Well, to me, you know, sex is limited by imagination. Yeah. Penetration is one way to have sex. Um, and, you know, once you're heading towards ejaculation, however you choose to do that, you know, you're really just finishing off it <laughs> and go to sleep. Yeah, yeah, pretty much. To me, sex is, you know, what comes before it. Yeah, it's the emotion. In my oh, opinion, no, it's the emotion. emotion. I'm oh, talking no? about the, the proper the physical. What are you going to do with the head? The touching, the massage, the kissing, you know, anything and everything that yep. you do. That, you know, you, if you want to play games, whatever you want to do. Um, well, you mentioned Fifty Shades of Grey earlier. So. That's right, yeah. But, um, you know, that to me is sex. It's that, yep. that intimacy. Yep. And, you know, coming is just finishing it off. So yeah. You go home or pay the bill and <laughs> or you know or roll over and go to sleep. Yeah. So so people who just get into bed go <laughs> done, thank you very much. You know, that's boring. I don't yeah. you as a lover because you're not having sex, you're just fucking yeah. kissing each other. I'm not openly able to say that. No, it's just... If not you've got the big button. Fucking <laughs> 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 So yeah, so so I I had this partner who was HIV positive. Yep. And that was the first time I really started to feel like a personal connection okay. with the AIDS epidemic. Um, we were always careful. He was a very responsible person. Um, and so for me, it wasn't even an issue, the fact that he was HIV positive, because I was always careful with what I did anyway. You know, yeah. There's an old saying that when you sleep with somebody, you were sleeping with all Everybody they slept with, yeah. That's right. So... I was always careful regardless. So, you know, I mean, I was, uh, for me, it was a bonus that I knew he had HIV. Yeah. Because my previous partners, I wouldn't have a clue what they had. Yeah. You know? We never discussed it. It never came up. You know, occasionally people say, oh, I've been tested and I'm clear. Well, thank you very much. But, um, you know, like somebody I slept with or shared a towel with or a toothbrush with, whatever. Yeah. Not brushes, toothbrushes. But, <laughs> you know, but you know, they could have had hepatitis. They could have syphilis, gonorrhea, whatever, yeah, exactly. you know, anything, that, and I wouldn't know about it. So actually knowing that my partner had yep. had a particular condition meant that I could take the proper proportions. Yeah, well, that's and, right. It means that you can both be safe yeah, and, and comfortable exactly. and happy. And, and I think in some ways that, that's uh, that's a good thing to hear because there's a lot of, you know, the stereotype out there is, you know, once you get HIV or AIDS, you don't tell anybody and you just go, it just makes you mental to want to yeah. spread it. And yeah. so I think it's good to hear that there are people who who have it who then are like, that's what I've got. You deal with it as opposed to, you know, the yeah, yeah, the, yeah, the crazed yeah. epidemic that the media loves to represent. That's right. Yeah. The, the funny thing was we had been together for a few months yeah. only and it was coming up to AIDS Awareness Week, okay. which World AIDS Day is the 1st of December every year. Every year. World, yeah. So AIDS Awareness Week is around that particular date. And the advertiser wanted to do an information piece on living with HIV. Okay. Um, which was a nice, a good thing to do, responsible thing to do, good yep. timing. Yep. Uh, and they chose my partner as the subject. <laughs> okay. And he got a double-page spread. I feel like there's a swerve coming in this story somewhere. Oh, I'm frightened by this. <laughs> no, 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 no. But he had a double-page spread. Yep. Um, it was a, quite a big story, lots of photographs, all that kind Excellent. of stuff. Excellent. Very positive story. Which oh, good, that's good. No, no. Story. But um, <laughs> but I hadn't actually told anybody, any of my friends or family, oh, that he was that he was HIV positive. That was just right. between us. I mean, yeah. it wasn't a deliberate secret. It just, no, it's it was just, a non-issue. It's, you don't generally get around the table and be like, "Well, you know, yeah, it's, 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 yeah exactly." Yeah. So you know, and, and we were comfortable with it. So there was no need to tell any. I, I had no fear factor where I felt the need to talk to anybody about yeah. it either. Well, you also know that, that you're not doing anything when you're getting contracted, so it's not a... Exactly, yeah. So I didn't realise that it was going to be such a big article. You know, yeah. I was quite pleased when he had, you know, and it never actually occurred to me that my friends and family would We're going to see it, yeah. So by the time I found out about this article, like I knew it was being published, but yeah. by the time I actually 
found out how big the, the, the scope of it was and how many people had read it. <laughs> the family network had travelled around the country, as had the friends network. Oh. And these are the days before Facebook? Yeah, yeah. But these oh, are the days before Facebook. Telephone that says some yeah. yeah. And I got a panicked call from a friend of mine in Broken Hill saying, oh, my God, we're going to kill the bastard. How could he not tell you that he has AIDS and rah, 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 <sighs> and you, know, how, you better go get yourself tested and we're all going to have a lynch mob and kill him for doing Jesus. this to you. And I'm like, hang on a minute. <laughs> <laughs> First of all, I did know. <laughs> they're like, what, 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 what do you mean you knew? And you still slept with him? It's like, well, he doesn't actually have AIDS. He's actually yeah. positive. There's a difference. You know? Yeah, exactly. And, um, I think that's another problem as well, is it? The, to the world at large, People it's the same. To the world at large, it's the same disease, and Magic Johnson is is like the Keith Richards of, of AIDS. Yeah. If you pardon the, the bad pun there, but that is, I think, how the world sees it. Is like that's the one dude that, <laughs> even though we get it, you can't kill. But the rest of them have, you know, the the full blown. Yeah. Uh, exactly. So anyway, so I got I got this call from this friend, and yep. I said, you know, start the reverse phone calls back around the country. Um, because he'd heard it from somebody in Adelaide, he'd heard it from somebody in Queensland, he'd heard it from somebody in Sydney. And it's quite Jeez, literally yeah. around the country uh, before f- somebody finally decided to ring me to find out what was going on. Um, Hands so across that, Australia that stuff. That was kind stuff. of funny in a sad kind of way. Yeah. Um, but meanwhile, the family, my family was also doing the same thing. So I got a call from Queensland from the family going, you know, we've what's the story? What's going on? This is for real. Um, and that was fine. The family was a bit more sensitive about it. Yeah. Uh, and they then told me, I can't remember the timeline, but it was sometime after that yep. that I was having a conversation with my mother and she mentioned that one of my cousins has got AIDS. Okay. Said, oh, my God, this is awful. And yep. this is a cousin that I would stay with whenever I'd go to Melbourne. Yeah. Um, I thought, you know, how horrible. You know, I know how you know, people are discriminating. Yeah, exactly. Stuff. So I thought, you know, I gave him a ring to see hey, if it was true and to offer my support. Um, and I said to him, look, I've just heard the news yep. that um, you're actually positive um, and I just wanted you to know that you know, I've had a partner with the virus and if you need somebody to talk to, blah, blah, blah. Yep. He said, what do you mean you've just heard it? I've had it for 10 years. <laughs> <laughs> but okay, I'm embarrassed. <laughs> so there so, you go. Yeah. Um, but that somehow my my situation yep. had prompted somebody discussing his situation, which had then done the rounds, you know, at that time and eventually got, <laughs> oh, that's drama, really drama, right. drama, who needs TV? Well, exactly, yeah. <laughs> that's anyway, my problem so, with reality TV. Reality is much more interesting. Yeah. But, you know, and, and as as much as I laugh at these stories and, you know, they are a bit over the top, yeah. um, they're real stories. Yeah. Um, I'm not exaggerating. But they are very indicative of the time. Yeah, yeah, that's exactly right. Misunderstanding of the virus um, yep. and of the panic that was around. Yeah. Um, I mean, I don't know if you or any of the listeners would remember the um, uh, the Grim Reaper in the bowling alley. Um, oh, I don't remember that one, no. HIV, um, and he was bowling down people instead of pins in the bowling alley. And he was nice. That's... Promotion that the government came out with for health warning. Um, so you know, like there was a lot of fear and misunderstanding. Yeah, well, I I remember. I can remember the time when they. I, I want to say it would have been about eighty nine, maybe mm-hmm. eighty nine, ninety, where we were being educated finally that it can't be transferred through saliva. So you don't have to worry about mouth to mouth and any of these things. And as a kid, you just accept it, take information like, okay, cool, whatever this disease is, I can't get it. I can mm-hmm. get it through blood. Or like you know, the um, sex basically back then it was blood sexual contact. That's what they told us at that age. So it's like okay, don't touch people who are bleeding. If I'm bleeding, cool. That yeah. you know back then, but but looking at it now as an adult, you look at it and you go, there was a point where if you started choking, people would have been like, can I give him mouth to mouth and save his life because I might get. And there is still a lot of misinformation around, and unfortunately, some really good organisations with high standing, such as the Red Cross, yep. still discriminate unnecessarily. So, for example, the Red Cross won't allow sexually active gay men to donate blood. 
Now, there's no reason for that because all blood is screened anyway for yeah, HIV, the same. hepatitis, and all those other diseases. So all blood is screened. Yeah. You have to fill in a form and, and sign something before you, you know, or whatever it is nowadays. I can't remember. It's been too long since I've donated the blood. <laughs> but, you know, like, like there are forms to fill out saying, you know, are you gay? Have you, had, have you been sexually active? You know, blah, blah, all that kind of stuff. Yeah. So you can self-screen anyway. Yeah. Now, considering the majority of gay men do not have HIV. Yeah, exactly. Um, and would never will. And the majority of gay men do practice safe sex. Yep. There is absolutely no reason for them to discriminate other than their own homophobic yeah. policies. Um, so, as a result, I, for one, for example, don't donate to the Red Cross at all. I don't support them at all. Yeah. Um, financially, anyway, you know. And my justification of that, aside from the fact that I don't like to support any organisation that I know to be discriminatory, discriminatory in any way is there are a lot of organisations out there who do equally good work and equally important work. Yep. So I put my money to them yep. instead of the Red Cross. Um, and that's not to say people should not donate to the Red Cross. They do need the support. They do need the money. They yeah. do need the blood. People should. Um, if they are comfortable supporting the Red Cross, then they should continue to do yeah. so. Um, but well, at the same time, they should to. probably also, if they, if, if, if they want to keep supporting it but they feel bad about this, just... Send them an e- send the Red Cross an email. If enough people send emails about stuff like this, you, revolution can be can be effective, especially in the the electronic age. Well, look at the Get Up organization. Love yeah. them or hate them, they do create change. Yep. As does Change.org and a whole bunch of those yep. other grassroots community You're organizations exactly right. that do the electronic signatures and they yep. do effect. They do a damn good job of it as well. Yeah, so, exactly. Yeah. They do a damn good job. They do an amazing job. So I love them, I hate them, you know, it's irrelevant. The fact is yeah, they exactly. can change. So emails, you may feel like you don't have a voice. Yep. And perhaps you don't individually. But, yep. you know, your voice added to somebody else's voice, added to somebody else's voices. You get, you know, 1,000 people or more, or, you know, thousands of people who don't feel like they have a voice. Yep. All chiming together, you have one hell of a choir. Yeah, exactly. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. We're at the point now where one man can make a difference. Absolutely. As a word. That's fantastic. Yeah. The, the upsides of the internet. Exactly. Um, it, it does have some good uh, some good points to it, the old internet. I guess. It does. Very, very true. Now, um, one of the, the other things I want to ask you was you uh, you worked for the AIDS Council. Yes. Um, now, that was, uh, I forget, um, uh, what, what time frame was that? that was back in the 80s as well. The 80s? Okay. That was, it was after the Grim Reaper. Yep. Um, so, that would have been, oh, well, maybe it was the 90s. It was around the change. Yep. So... So it was probably, yeah, late 80s, early 90s. Yeah. Late 80s. Gosh. Need a vaccine. So, yeah, so that was, again, so it was still during, you know, the AIDS epidemic, they were just starting to introduce um, uh, better drugs and drug regimes for people. Yeah. It was the early stages, so they're quite strict. If you missed one dosage, you could give up and not bother taking it ever again. There was, you had yeah. to be that strict with taking you know, thousands of That's unreal. That, yeah. um, and that was really interesting. I really enjoyed working for the AIDS Council. Um, I was there for about six and a half years. Yep. Uh, AIDS Council, I was working in the administration side of things, I should clarify that. Um, but the AIDS Council was funded for very specific target groups, their programs yep. were targeted, um, which meant there was no funding that I recall for educating the general public. No, of course not. So all the general public education just came out of fundraising and other means of getting money to do that. Yep. Um, and they ran a volunteer-run information line, for example, uh, where volunteers were trained up and had all the resources and then the general public could bring their questions, yep. um, that kind of thing. But they, 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 were, they, were, they, were, they were funded to target the gay and bisexual community, yep. um, intravenous drug users, so sharing needles, basically, yeah, was the worry there. Had to survive needle exchange. Yeah, I, I remember. I do. I'd say I don't remember the bowling alley one, but I remember the ads about not sharing needles. Not sharing I'm needles. sure there was one that had a teddy bear in it. Really dark, depressing, like drug addict squalid den, and there was this depressed out, distressed, one-eyed teddy bear. Sounds familiar. It's burned to my brain. It must have done something because it, like five, six years old, it's given me enough okay. to stick with me. No, no, I don't think it's that one. That's that's how I confront my fear on a daily basis. I just look at it, I'm like, two eyes, and you're safe. Uh, okay. Once one eye drops out, though. No, I'm not. <laughs> okay, so, so yeah, so it was, it was the, the gay and bisexual community. It was yep. intravenous drug users. Yep. And it was SA-SIM. 
self-destructive <laughs> sex industry network great acronym that's a great one yeah, yeah. Um, so they were the three main areas that were um, targeted with okay. funding and funding programs so the the primary needle exchange for the state was on premises yeah um, FAC of course Penrith had like a had a shop for education and a shop for um, brothel workers and prostitutes and, and um, whoever was involved in the industry yep. uh, where they could buy cheap um, condoms and things like that, which was fantastic because yeah. you, know, you could buy condoms in bulk, relatively cheap, which meant that um, the sex industry, who was very responsible overall, um, would you know, it ensured that they or help ensure that they kept themselves and their clients clean and safe yeah. because they had access to resources to the, resources, to yeah. the condoms and the lubes and the dental yeah. dams and the, the information and the counsellors and, and anything else. And it was a real eye-opener for me. I loved working there. But um, like it was it was interesting because prior to working for the AIDS Council, I'd worked with the deaf. Okay. Um, and I went from the Deaf Society to the AIDS Council. And the AIDS Council worked on peer education. And part of the process of peer education was that you had to talk in the language that your clients use. Okay? Okay. So you weren't you weren't a suit. If you're if you're a suit, then people weren't going to come to you. Like yeah. drug intravenous drug users weren't going to come to you to talk about their drug problem if you're wearing a tie and a suit. Yeah. If you're a bureaucrat. But if you're in jeans and a t shirt now, or you're a former drug user, yeah. then you can relate to what they're talking about. You understood the terminology. You understood where they're coming from. So they'll feel more comfortable talking to you, that kind of thing. Um, and I always remember my first day on the job there, I, um, one of the first tasks I had was I had to type up a brochure for the Sex Industry Network. Okay. And it was all about um, what to do if a client didn't want you to wear a condom. Okay. Jeez, that would have been an intense thing to type up. And it was written in very colourful language. I bet. Um, now, I'm not sure on the censorship of this. Hey, it's just, well, you, can, you can say whatever you like, we're unfiltered here. Okay, great. But pretty well, the um, the whole brochure just said that you should be. <laughs> 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 so it was talking about, you know, like, if he wants to stick his dick up your cunt without a, without a condom. It was that kind of language. Yeah, the very, very abrasive. Yeah, really. And I sat there and I'm typing. I'm giggling away and I'm looking around feeling like a naughty schoolboy <laughs> all these rude, dirty words, you know, in the workplace. <laughs> Just to look at some porn as well. <laughs> Pre-internet. <laughs> but, you know, so it was, it was like, really? Yeah, I bet. Yeah. Um, and I really had my eyes opened. It's probably my all-time favourite job because, not so much because of the work, although that was fine. Yeah. But it really opened my eyes to a world that I didn't know existed. Um, to see that most of the prostitutes who were coming through were housewives. You know, husband was off at work, kids were off at school, they're just getting a bit of extra pocket money to spend on the house and the shopping. Holy like, shit. For their family. Wow. Um, you know, I wouldn't say it was the majority of them, but... Yeah, 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 yeah. That's... Were housewives. I had no idea this was a common thing. Um, you know, meeting intravenous drug users and, yeah. you know, just chatting generally to them and kind of finding out that, you know, most of them are actually just social users on the weekend. Yeah. You know, this massive drug problem we have. Yeah, there's a drug problem, but it's nowhere near it's as meth. as I thought meth it was. Meth is the drug problem we have, not, yeah. well, at least nowadays, but. Yeah. You know, and like, and the people weren't as, you know, fucked up and crazy as they <laughs> yeah. to be. And yeah, well, I think that's the thing to, that the media in Hollywood have done such a good job of, of the, the the heroin user junk is where they expect them to come in with bags under their eyes, like scratching at themselves, and yep. if you even if if it makes it, a coin makes a sound in your pocket, they're gonna pull a knife on you and, and try to go you to get you know that's that's yep. the picture they, they paint, yep. but it's just not. Yeah, exactly. And unfortunately, people nowadays seem to. Do you find it odd too that people seem to be finding it more and more difficult to separate fact from fantasy. Oh, I hear you. Know, you hear of these, and I guess it's been around all, you know, for decades, but it seems to be getting worse. Um, I remember, um, oh, what was the actress name? Rowena Wallace, the Australian actress, yep. who played the infamous Pat the Rat on Sons uh, and Daughters, yep. the Australian TV show. And I remember reading an interview with her once years ago um, talking about how she would get abused when she went to the supermarket, yep. like verbally abused for treating people the way she did in the show. Yeah. Like, but that's a character. Yeah. An actor doing a job. And people just can't, can't 
Well, like I'm, uh, I, I, I like reading about like the old days of wrestling when the fans really did think it was real. And you read, <laughs> I like the way you think it <laughs> And I like some of the stories that you, you hear about, like these, like they, some of the guys, the bad guys would have to sit and wait for up to two, three hours in the, the arena for the fans to clear and they go out there. The windows on the car would be busted. The tires would be yeah. like They basically just decimate, the fans would decimate a car because they were just so angry because they would think what they were seeing was real. Yeah. Yeah. And I think what it comes down to now is that things are shot, TV shot so well now that it feels like you're just looking at a slice of real life crew, got that good with it. But then our reality TV show or things that are presented to us as reality are so heavily scripted. But because the majority of people believe if the TV says this is real, yep. it's real. Yep. So to them, that's what life is like. So they there is this yeah there's weird blending where well reality tv if i see it on the tv says it's real and that's bleeding over because it's shot in the same way that it's like the office for instance the office is shot in that hidden camera yeah which they shoot a lot of uh, like you know hell's kitchen and um a lot of my restaurant rules apart from where they're you know the the talking heads are shot like that it bleeds over so psychologically yeah people start thinking well yeah, everything's okay. real or everything's fake. Like you get, you get the the weirder spectrum where you get the the people who are the safer. I would call the ones who everything is real because they're yeah they're the ones that are just just say what they want to say because Vinny on the Jersey Shore says it, so I can say it. Mm. But the ones who take everything a fake are the ones who get scary and become mass killery because it doesn't matter anyway. It's all Killery. it's all a game. I believe it's a technical term. It's a technical term. I'm going to, yeah, you can, you can, I'm going to patent it later on, but you can use it. Good. I'll give them that. That's a good word. Word of the day, killery. Killery. Mass killery. Well, I hope you all enjoyed part one of my interview with Rod Lewis there. As I say, he's a fascinating man who always humbles me to the nth degree every time I sit down to talk to him. Uh, next week, we'll be back to talk about what he's doing now, including his work with refugees and what he thinks the future of Australia should be in terms of helping those who come here to seek asylum and what the right ways we as societies can, can help them and build communities to support them. Until then, I've been your host, Adam Gerard. This has been A Word with Adam. Thank you so much for listening. If you have any questions for Rod or for any of my other guests, please fire off an email to me at awordwithadam at gmail.com. Otherwise, you can find me at twitter.com slash awordwithadam. And until next week, take care of yourselves, take care of each other. And remember, this is one big community. We're all in it together. So why not get along and actually make life worthwhile? See you next week.
This has been a Cabana production.